Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. of the Night Report Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Broadbent. Joining me once again is my co-host, Richie Schneiderite, and co-host, Rutgers beat writer, Craig Epstein. Guys, there's that uh, that Bill Belichick, good week, good day for Rutgers meme that goes around when good things happen for Rutgers. Uh, this weekend was the opposite of that. Uh, Rutgers basketball got blown out by Illinois yesterday. Rutgers wrestling had a, what was set up to be a, you know, a, a flag-planting moment against Michigan that they totally gave away. Uh, we have some Rutgers coaching stuff we want to discuss, but let's start it off with basketball. Uh, Rutgers went to Champaign yesterday and lost 86 to 63. Um, this is a game that I don't think really anybody thought that they were going to win, but they showed fight. There were moments where it got down to even a four point lead in the second half uh, for Illinois. And then Rutgers just didn't really have the horses to keep up that momentum. Let's just talk about the game. Rich, what was yeah. your your macro level take about how this game went for Rutgers? Ooh, macro. That's uh, it was ugly. They 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 don't play offense. They they don't run an offense. They can't put the ball through the hoop. Like it doesn't. You could be two feet from the rim and they're struggling to put the ball through the hoop. Um, it's just it's the same storyline over and over again. Decent defense. I, I even say above average defense at times. Um. Guys are just not able to get the ball through the hoop. Like they're struggling. Like what was the assist count? Like they had mm, no. I'm looking at the wrong one. They had eight assists on the day. Like it's just it. It seems like it's almost selfish basketball too. Like it's just ugly, ugly basketball. Six of fifteen on layups. Um, dude, the guy who the one the lone guy and Craig said it before. Like a halftime, that had a three point shot, a made three point shot was Cliff. Like. <laughs> It's just it was just such an ugly, ugly game. Um, they did actually manage to come back in the second half a little bit, but like it's not even like a tale of two halves anymore. It's they're just the same half over and over again. They suck at free throws. They can't hit a three for the life of them. No one on this team can hit a three, which is amazing as a D one college basketball player. That most of these guys just can't hit an open three, an open three, mind you. Thirty seven percent from the field. It's just brutal, like, and it's not like it got any better in the second half. It was 37% again, so it's just a ugly, ugly basketball team this year, and it's just uh, – I guess it's kind of dampening the mood a little bit for next year because everyone thought this team could get maybe an NIT or maybe an NCAA tournament bid, but it's just not looking that way right now. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the, like this was kind of expected. This just feels like a matchup where – Rutgers could play Illinois. This Rutgers team could play this Illinois team 10 times and Illinois would probably win all 10 of them. They're just bigger, stronger, faster, just every, really every facet of the game. They're just better than Rutgers. I mean, you just saw it throughout the, you saw it in the first matchup. It was almost a carbon copy of the matchups. They just completely outmuscled them on the glass, especially on the offensive rebounds. It's just over and over again. And it's, it's just, you look at it and you want to say like, man, if Rutgers just tried harder, but it's just like, they're just, they're just not on their level. 
And that's really just what the game comes down to. And Rutgers just does not have, like you said, the shooting to be able to keep up with it. Because even if even if Rutgers is getting out rebounded and it results in those two points, like if Rutgers can just hit th- just hit threes, they'd stay be able to stay in the game. But they, they just really have nobody that can just consistently hit threes in this game. And really, it was just the offense yesterday was just basically just Cliff Amorui, Cliff Cliff Amorui. I mean, he accounted for basically half of their points in the first half. And outside of really that that quick run they had where Noah gave him those eight points, they went on a run, cut it to a four point game. You thought maybe that was something, but then Illinois quickly just fires back with a run of their own, and the game was over. And it's just like this is just like we said, like we talked about whether or not last game was an aberration or if Rutgers was that team going forward, but. This is just kind of who they are. Last game, and even last game kind of showed, everything needs to basically break perfectly for them just to even hopefully have a chance to win the game. And just that's not going to happen every game, especially against when you're facing a team as good as Illinois. Now now you're going up against a team like Purdue, who is as good, if not better. So it's just a tough time right now for them. Yeah, as good if not better. What is that? As good if not better. They're a lot better. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Number two demon country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you pointed out something that's that was very uh obvious throughout the whole game. This was just a team that athletically was just faster, bigger, longer than Rutgers. I'm just gonna go through the height of each one of their players that played more than six minutes yesterday. Six eight, six six, six six, six nine, six six, six ten, six four. The only guy under six six of their main rotation is uh, Justin Harmon, and he's you know one of the best scorers on their team. So this is a team that is just way bigger than Rutgers. Rutgers usually is a team that values size, and I think you would have seen them have a much bigger lineup if things would have broken the way that they hoped this offseason. We can talk more about mm-hmm. that later. But when you when you have you know the, the whole goal of this this season was to play faster, you know to, to you know score more in transition, to have more shots put up. And for the most part, that hasn't really been successful for this Rutgers team. Like you, like you mentioned, there have been these short bursts where Rutgers has, you know, seemingly a, a more efficient and you know advanced offense. But for the large part, we're just not really a cohesive offense. Period. Like I posted an article about Purdue has an offensive coordinator now for basketball, and they're one of the more progressive basketball teams in the country year after year. I think Rutgers really has to think seriously about doing something like that this offseason because you just need a voice in the room to kind of like guide the offense because there really is nothing that we can point to that you know, we run this this set in these situations you know and, and it's a, an easy button for this team there is no easy button it's just kind of like you know hoping to get an open look through a missed assignment or something like that um, like just from this game alone. We had a six-minute stretch to start the game where we only scored two points uh, from the 19-minute mark to the 13-minute mark. We only had 11 points to the first 13 minutes of the game. Uh, we out of the first, out of the second half, we scored a quick bucket, and then we had a three-minute stretch where we had no points, and you saw the lead climb to 15. Um, after that, Noah Fernandez, you know, lightning strike where we got within four. Uh, we got outscored 31 to 12 in the final 10-20 of the game. And if you just look at the advanced box score, like if you look at how Illinois was scoring versus how Rutgers was scoring, Illinois was 24 of 27 at the rim yesterday. They only took nine mid-range shots in the entire game. Rutgers took 36 mid-range shots, which are 
widely lauded as the least efficient type of shot you should take in basketball. And that's the primary way we're putting up shots game after game. So we're terrible with shot selection. We're terrible at shot making. If you look at Rutgers, we were 10 of 19 at the rim, which is probably the first game in the last 10 where Rutgers has been over 50% at the rim. So we can't make shots at the rim. We're taking way too many mid-range shots. We can't hit three-pointers, partially because we're not getting open looks, but also partially because we're just not good at it. And, you know, we're hit or miss on free throws. Yesterday we were good, but we only got to the line 11 times. Illinois got to the line 27 times. So that's what happens also when you go to the rim as much. You're more likely to get fouled in the paint than you are from mid-range or from beyond the arc. So it's just it's a cacophony of just bad uh, offense in general. Like any metric you look at, Rutgers looks bad. I just I don't know how to fix it. I'm not an offensive savant, but I know that they probably should just hire somebody who is and figure that out because you can't be running this type of offense with Ace Bailey and Dylan Harper next year. You just can't. It's just you're you can't just expect them also to you know do the AAU thing and just play ISO ball and one on one and have Ace and Dylan go back and forth your turn my turn stuff because that's gonna frustrate everybody. Um, you, you really need to t- play team offensive basketball, and I really don't have a good solution. And Pykele is in, what, year seven now? Have we ever had an offense where you're like, oh, my God, this is like poetry in motion? No, we've never had that. It's always been tough defense, you know, forcing turnovers, you know, getting opportunistic shots. There hasn't ever been, like, you know, consistent sets we go to to get guys open. You know, we just have had individual players who are good scorers at different times in Camp Spencer, in, you know, uh, in Ron Harper Jr. and in, in Geo Baker, like those guys could hit a shot when you needed them to. We don't have anybody on this team right now who is a go-to shot maker. And it shows because nobody seems to really have the confidence to just kind of like, like the full confidence to just take a shot when, you know, to get the offense back rolling. Like there are guys who take these like hesitant shots and you see occasionally a guy like Noah Fernandes come in and like be that alpha dog. Um, and I do want to shout out Cliff too, because you guys both said it. Cliff mm-hmm. had his best two games of the season, probably his last two. He's finally starting to show some touch in the paint. Um, I, you know, he went six and seven at the rim yesterday, uh, which is you know way better than he normally is. So you got to keep, unfortunately, you got to keep playing through Cliff a little bit because that's, probably our best offensive player, even though that's, he hasn't been great all year. Mm. Um, but I am struggling to find a path where this team, you know, comes out of its cocoon this year. Cause it's just been a lot of really bad basketball. Yeah. The, the crazy thing is, is like, and I know I said it before, it's most likely not a tournament team, but based on their quad record and based on the, the field right now, one, one quick run and it totally, changes the tune of this team now i don't think that happens i I think that they're still going to struggle i think sunday could be potentially very very ugly because you are going against a very tough purdue team but you do have a nice little streak of like bottom of the barrel big 10 teams coming up in penn state michigan and maryland then you go back to wisconsin uh well well, wisconsin comes to Rutgers, but who's who's a tough one and then you get northwestern minnesota so i mean realistically those could be some decent wins, but you gotta if you want to have any any shot of making this tournament, you need to upset someone at least one person, if not a couple people. Um, you need some quad one wins, but like the quad record, all their losses are Q ones. Like it's not insane. 
Yeah, we were talking about that. It's interesting how this almost feels like the reverse of last season, where at this time last season, I think we were saying, like, there's no way they can miss the tournament. Like, they'd have to have some type of some type of epic collapse. And then, of course, they ended up, they did. So it's almost like this season, it's like, there's no way they can make the tournament unless they go on some sort of epic run. And it's like, well, the way the field is right now, I mean, nobody's really has a really great resume right now. So if you could go on kind of an, like an extended run of really great basketball, which I don't expect them to do, but mm-hmm. if you do it, like it's possible, but I just, I don't see it with this team. Trying to do that reverse jinx type thing. <laughs> I, see it. I, I, I hear you. I hear you. Might work. Yeah. Th- at this time last year, we were 13 and six and five and three in the big 10. We had just mm-hmm. come off the uh, Ohio state win with an overtime. We just come off the, the win at Northwestern with that big shot from Spencer. Mm-hmm. You know, we went on, we went on to win the next, next three or four games. Uh, and then, Obviously, Maggie gets hurt. Um, but I did kind of want to talk about, you know, what this team could have been. And this isn't trying to, like, you know, dig up old wounds. But I do think that this team had a different design coming into the season from Peichel than it ended up being. Mm-hmm. If you look at the players that we lost out on late in the process, from Benedongo, the high school recruit, Cam Spencer, obviously, who went to UConn, and Paul Mulcahy, mm-hmm. who went to Washington, like all three of those guys were written in pen, basically that they're going to be on the roster next year. Yeah, we all know what what uh, what Cam's doing. He's you know one of the leading scorers on the number one team in the country. Mm-hmm. Paul hasn't really played a ton in Washington, but I think Benedongo, like his, is getting kind of slept on for what he's doing. If you look at what he's doing at Georgia Tech, he's really blossomed into an excellent player in the. You know, he scored in double digits each of his last 10 games for Georgia Tech. He shot, in the last 10 games alone, he shot 64 for 86, which is a 74% shooting clip. Uh, he's averaged 15.2 points per game and 9.5 and rebounds per game. If we had an interior scoring threat like Bandadongo, we'd be so much different of a team. Because not only would that open up shots for Cliff, because they would have to respect there's a second big man on the team, but he's just like so efficient as a scorer. Um, I, I don't think you could have expected that coming in, but seeing what he's doing at a high major level is stupid impressive uh, for a guy who's a freshman. Um, so I do think the offense would have looked totally different with those three on the team than it does. You know, We replaced Benedongo, Cam Spencer, and Paul Mulcahy with mm-hmm. Oscar Palmquist, Jeremiah Williams, who they knew wasn't going to play, and mm-hmm. Austin Williams. Austin Williams has had his moments, but he is by no means the offensive player that Cam Spencer or Benedongo would have been. And even Paul probably would be a lot better in year five in the Pikel system than he is, you know, playing in this weird role for Washington. Um, so I do think I want to give Pike a little bit of slack here because I think he had a much different design. He's trying to make do with what he's got, mm-hmm. but it's just it's hard to watch, man. I guess yeah. the play devil's advocate a little bit here is that with Benedongo, like, like we said, before the last two games, the big men have just been pretty much, other than Cliff the last two games, the big men have been pretty much a disaster this season. So, I mean, who knows? Like, is it guaranteed that Bainadongo would have been doing what he's doing at Georgia Tech? And then at the same time, we're looking at Gavin Griffiths, a guy who was really a, basically a five-star recruit who was touted as this great shooter. And we, we expect him to be like a double-digit scorer. And he just looks completely lost out there. So, I don't know. I don't know really what's going what's going on with the player development this season. If anything, guys kind of seem like they're taking a step backwards. So I was just like, I guess I don't know. I think 
like we you mentioned it before and we <laughs> talked about it where there there's definitely excuses i guess excuses or reasons to be made why this team is kind of where we are where we are but at the same time these are there's some problems here that have been persisting for a couple years now like the, the offense being kind of outdated and just being bad uh, they've been a bad layup team for now a couple of years. They've been a bad free throw shooting team there for a couple of years. So there's been problems here that have persisted, but they've, like we said, they've had guys like Gio and Ron and just different guys, Caleb being the, basically the best defensive player in the country who have been able to just bail them out of their problems like that. But this season they don't have those guys. So now we get to see like, really, what can you do when things don't go, you know, according to plan. And as we know, in college basketball and college sports these days, with the transfer portal and everything going on, things rarely ever go as planned. So it's just like you really yeah. have to be on top of things. So it's just like you want to give them these re- these excuses, which I understand. But at the same time, like things things can't just stay status quo, in my opinion. The, the backcourt scares me the most. Um, <clears throat> it's just that if you combine Jermichael Davis and Derek Simpson's percentage, it's like 60% from the field. It's really bad. Um, they're not doing anything. They can't score. They can't, they're not even facilitating for the most part. Like it's just, it's a rough look and they're and I don't even know. I don't know how you fix it. Like you said, guys are regressing. Like you got to go out and get an offensive coordinator type mind or any, and I think Jay young, I know not an offensive coordinator type mind, but you got to bring him in to help with the big man development. No, Cliff has regressed severely. Don't get me wrong. He's gotten better over the past two games. He had actually a really good game this week. Um, against a smaller, smallish center in Coleman Hawkins, who's going to be that another kick in the balls a little bit because it was like this close to being Rutgers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's just um, the development overall. It's it's all throughout. I shouldn't say just pick on the guards, but specifically uh, the development overall has just been not there. There really isn't any. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you think about how we've won games in the past when we've been really humming, it's murder ball. You're just playing stifling yeah. defense. You have long athletes who Michael has developed and molded. Like, mm-hmm. how many guys on this on his like top teams were third, fourth, fifth year guys? Like, yeah, he's basically had to start over this season. And it, I think yeah. to expect there not to have been some some hiccups along the way, and this has been more than hiccups, but you know, from playing having to play a lot of guys who aren't familiar with the system. So those could be the seventh year Austin Williams, or it could be the first year to Michael Davis. You're, you don't have the same length that you normally had under Steve Peichel. You yeah. know, if you if you look at, you know, Jermichael Davis is under six feet tall. Derek Simpson is listed, I think, at six threes. And I, I don't think he's that tall. Uh, you look at, you know, Der- Noah Fernandes, he's under six feet tall. Like, all these guards are undersized for the Big Ten. And, you know, those passing lanes that we used to be able to clog up with the Caleb McConnells, the mm-hmm. Ron Harper Juniors, the uh, – I mean, Watt missed a lot of last season, but he's he's like the prototype for Pike of length and athleticism. And we don't have many guys like Watt Mag. We have Cliff and Watt, basically. And you were talking about Gavin struggling. He's struggling primarily because Pike demands a lot of these guys on defense. And if you're not familiar with the system and you're a freshman, it's tough to to learn how to play defense in this system. And that's, I, I think, primarily why, why Gavin's struggling. Because, you know, you go down on defense, you blow an assignment, the guy hits a three, and then you're expected to have that confidence on the offensive end. And he's, you know, he's not seeing shots fall. So it's like, he he probably feels like he can't do anything right right now. And you just got to find ways to get him easy looks. We talked about this in the past, just put him in the corner and design plays 
to suck in it, like drive to the hoop, suck in a defender and kick to him uh, on the wing. Like you need to just see, he needs to see shots go down and he's not seeing that right now. And he took a shot where he like drove to the, the top of the key and like, he didn't even get his, like his uh, second hand to, to guide the ball. He just like shot it one handed and it was like a total brick. And he's a great shooter. We all know that we've seen him in AU settings. We've seen him in high school. He is a great shooter, but when you don't have the confidence, it could take a great shooter to a below average shooter really quick. Now, I, yeah, that's and on top of it, like even if they're getting those foul calls, like driving to the rim against that defender, they're not hitting it free throws. So it's like it's it's tough. And I think it's it's interesting to me because Peichel has, like you said, shifted his mentality when it comes to recruiting guards from those tall, lengthy guards to now going a lot smaller. Like even Nigel James, who's their top point guard recruit in the twenty twenty five class, is what five eleven six foot maybe on a good day um and it it could work in the big 10 don't get me wrong like michigan's done it a couple times with like uh eli brooks xavier simpson and it, they made it work but you have to have the right pieces around them too um like they obviously they had a, they were kind of funneling hunter dickinson for the most part under uh at michigan but it's it's a different team it's definitely intriguing to see how he's recruiting now they are shifting to that more fast-paced offense and I think it goes back to what we said earlier in the season. It's like, um, what is it, square peg, round hole? And it's just like you don't have the right pieces currently. Um, you're kind of just throwing whatever the hell you got out there. I mean, hey, here's here's trolls. And just, fuck it, go out there. Just shoot a couple threes, see if it works. Nope, nothing. Oh, shit. All right, next, uh, Pomquist, go out there again. Try, I don't know, fucking do whatever you want to do. It's at the point where, like, I think you just keep experimenting at this point. It's a, It's not a lost season for the most part. But it kind of is as well. Um, I think you just keep switching the starting lineup until you can find a, a good core five. I think you obviously have a couple that are starters, like solidified starters in Cliff and Mawat and Hyatt. But the rest, I think you just keep rotating guys and see like, all right, Fernandes and Jamichael mm, doesn't work. Fernandes Simpson doesn't work. Let's try Fernandes and Jamichael. No, we'll just, we'll just keep trying new rotations. Put Austin in that rotation too. And maybe you find something, maybe you get lucky. And then uh, you just got to hope Jeremiah, <laughs> Jeremiah Williams is like the next coming of uh, whoever. You need someone. <laughs> like You just hope he can just do something when he is eventually eligible to play. Yeah, I don't think there's any easy button stuff this season. I think it's just kind of, you know, we got to have that that growth year. We need to just see the younger yeah. guys develop a little bit in the second half of the season. Need to get hopefully Jeremiah Williams on the court, get some you know minutes yeah. under his belt, so he's not coming off you know two years of rust coming into next season. Mm-hmm. Um, the schedule gets significantly easier after the Purdue game. I do want to throw that caveat out there. February is a much much easier stretch of games for yeah. Rutgers than uh, January has been. So I don't think the season's lost in that sense. Like you got to just make the best <clears> of it. It might not be a postseason team, but that doesn't mean that we can't have, you know, an upset or two. It doesn't mean we can't have a ton of really solid development. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe myself included, we had a little bit too high of expectations given how much turnover this program saw in a one-year span. When you know, the hallmark for Pike-led teams are stability, getting those guys to come back for their fifth, sixth season, sometimes um, having those guys who intimately know the system. Um, we just haven't had that recently. Like they've always had these stalwarts throughout, you know, even, you know, when's the last time we haven't had a guy leading the team who is 
in their like like and I'm talking about multiple guys like fourth, fifth, sixth season. It's you know we have Cliff and we have Watt now, but other than that, the cupboard's kind of dry for in terms of experience with Pykel. So I think yeah, that's that's partially on us. We might have had a little bit too high of expectations for this team, and we should have been a little bit more realistic. But what are you gonna do? Live and learn. It, it's tough though. Like even looking at those, like, and I know those European games, they're not like the best competition, but like just looking at them, hearing about the scrimmages against St. John's and uh, who else did they play? They played someone else that was significant. Um, but, and it sounded like this team was pretty good. Mind yeah. you, like it's Jeremiah Williams was playing in those scrimmages too. So I, I'm, I'm really just, I'm holding out hope that he's going to be decent for them. And I, I think honestly, he's probably their best guard the minute he steps on the court. And I don't think that's a stretch by any means because their backcourt's just struggling. It's not good. Like, they can't score, can't do anything. They have games. They're just so inconsistent. And it drives me nuts. Like, like we said it before. Or I don't know if we said it before, actually. I've said it to you guys before. Derek Simpson will go and drop, what, 14, 8, and 8. And then the next game, he's like 3 of 15. And I'm like, this is just, like, so inconsistent. It drives me, like, up a wall a little bit. Yeah, I mean, he was – I believe he only made three shots the last against Nebraska too. Yeah. Like I think he had a lot of points from the line too. Yeah. He, he was three of 13 shooting against Nebraska when he had 14, eight and eight. And so I mean, a lot of his scoring came from the line. He, he had, you know, a nice three at one point, but he struggled all year. His shooting percentage is one of the lowest in, in the, uh, of the high major teams. So yeah, you'd love it's to see it's some it's development over the second half from him. But. I should have I should have used the Ohio State game specifically. He had twenty three eight and two. He shot fifty six percent. He yep. hasn't hit forty percent in any other game since November eighteenth. Jeez. And forty percent's like that's a that's the minimum bar I would say. Yep. So I don't know. It's just uh, this team is just not built. And like you said, just get the development of the young guys. Just throw them out there at this point. Fuck it. Jermichael Davis, go start grabbing Griffiths. I, I know uh, Craig uh, alluded to this before we started recording, and they might it might cause him to get some bad habits. But at this point, I need him to get out of that slump. I can't have him slumping like that. Number twenty one recruit in the country, and he's what oh of what or one of like eighteen in his last shots or something like that. Yeah, it's been rough for him, um, but we'll see. Sure. Uh, hopefully, things start to to trend upwards in the second half of the year, um, but. We have a week off between now and our next game against Purdue. When you have that much time off in the middle of you know conference season, you really need to use it for development and getting guys healthy. So, yeah. Um, Rough. Should we mention? I, got. I was going to say, should we mention the the Terrence Shannon Jr. situation? Is that was? No. Mm, I don't, nah, don't, don't really want to. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Um, I thought it was pretty gross that they gave him a standing ovation, but that's about as much as I want to say regarding yeah. Terrence Shannon. Uh, just for reference, uh, four of 28 over the last one, two, three, four, five, six, six seven games. Four of 28 for Gavin Griffiths. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. You just got to see shots go down. Yeah. And, I mean, this is the same guy that dropped a 20, 25 bomb in game two, and everyone, woo! <laughs> I mean, I was on. I was sipping the cool. I was there on too. the train. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I believed it. Uh, and then he drops twelve points against Georgetown. I'm like, oh shit, this this is it. Man, wow, this is mm-hmm. going to be the Gavin Griffith show, and just disappeared. Yep. So anyway, all right. Let's talk Next some. Uh, let's talk some more sad news. Uh, Rutgers <laughs> wrestling. They had a uh, couple of Big Ten matchups this weekend. They won their first one against Michigan State on Friday night. 
um, which put them at 3-0 for the first time ever in the Big Ten, riding high. Uh, Rutgers had a match on Sunday afternoon against Michigan, who was ranked 13, or ranked 12th, 11th. Uh, everyone Unless has different rankings. Drives me up. Yeah, well. let's just go with 11th because that's what the Rutgers press release had. So Michigan was ranked 11th. Rutgers has never beaten Michigan. Uh, this is seen as a bit of a down year for Michigan wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, they were with, without two of their best wrestlers uh, in Shane Griffiths and I forget the other guy's name. Uh, Rutgers just went on to just totally crap the bed. They had five uh, matches on Sunday where it was ranked on ranked and they lost all five. They lost both matches that went to sudden, sudden victory. Uh, they ended up losing the match 23 to 10. Uh, this is a this is a match that Rutgers could have easily won, but they just didn't step up. Guys are getting rode out. Michigan is one of the best teams in the, in the nation uh, in terms of uh, riding guys out, seemingly, because everybody, like from the first match down, Rutgers just couldn't find a way to escape when they really needed to. Uh, I don't know if you guys watched any of this match, so if you didn't, then I can just keep talking about it, but... No, I talked. I, I watched a couple of like, the, I shouldn't even say a couple. I watched two matches, and then once they started losing, I was like, ah, I'm done. See ya. Like, yeah. it's it is it is ugly though. Like, Dean was so close to pulling off that upset. I yeah, I guess it's an upset. Uh, I don't think Diagostino is really great, but he's he's obviously ranked by some. It's the ranking system for wrestling sucks. There's like seven of them, and they just it's yeah. like and they just pick whoever has the highest that week, and it's like we're gonna go with that one this week. Like no, yep. um, that one was close. Schauber, uh kind of disappointing because I don't think Dylan Ragusen Ragusen I don't even know how to pronounce it is is that good. I actually watched him twice this week because um, I watched him on Friday against uh, Penn State, and well, I just he pinned, don't. I, he, he pinned Nagao from Penn State. Yeah, Nagao's been struggling pretty pretty badly for them. <laughs> But he's still uh, a top five guy in the country. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it's just, it's weird. And then Mitch, Mitch just got fucking completely upset. Yeah. Um, it's a tough one. I don't know. This this lineup's weird this year, too. Jackson Turley got his win, so that's nice. Uh, Soldano's not been the same since, what, last year, the year before, whatever it was. Well, the problem with Soldano is, like, he, he wrestles this really unconventional kind of like drunken master style where he, he <laughs> plays from, he wrestles from his back a lot. So he's yeah. always putting himself in danger. And sometimes that turns into this like crazy reversal pin out of nowhere. But yeah. most of the time it just, it results in him just losing these big matchups by bigger margins than you would expect. Yeah. Like he just, it's, it's kind of like trying to, <clears throat> to tame like a, a wild horse you're trying to like take all those things that make him uh, who he is, but also refine him down to a style that could win more matches. And I just don't know at this point if that's going to be possible. I think they've yeah. kind of like given up on trying to tame him and just hope that, you know, as he's gets older and stronger, that, you know, that style can translate to, to better results. But I mean, it just hasn't been there this year for him. And you got to just kind of, I don't know. You, I feel like you you have two paths and you've already kind of chosen one with Soldano. Yeah. And then uh, Luke Geyer had a pretty good match against Cameron yep. Amin, who literally bit a wrestler on Friday. <laughs> yeah. Was, yep. He's the, the Luis Suarez of uh, Big Ten wrestling. Yeah, pretty much. It was, <laughs> it was very odd. Like, he had him in like a near chokehold against Penn State, and he just went like, and like, uh, who was it? Messenbrink for Penn State? What he goes to ref? He's like, look, like, he fucking hit me. Like, <laughs> yep. insane. Um, 
Yari is is good. Yari's always a good wrestler, but I just don't think he can break into that upper echelon. Like he, he's got yeah. some good wins in their top twenty five wins, but he, it's just you saw it on Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Uh, he can't really break into that upper echelon. Like Davison just kind of manhandled him a little bit. Yep. So it's it's tough because I thought this was a pretty good lineup for Rutgers this year, and uh, doesn't get any easier. Yeah, is this just case, say, is this just a case of the, they just can't break through against these top teams? I saw now they're zero nine against Michigan all time, and they're like zero mm-hmm. and whatever zero fifty two and one against the Big <clears throat> Five. Yeah. 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 I mean. Well, the Big Ten is the best wrestling conference in the country by far. Like, if you just look from 1 to 14, or I don't think every team has a wrestling program, but if you just look at the t- all the teams in the Big Ten, every year, almost every team is ranked, like, throughout the season. So 80% of the conference is ranked. If you look at the Big Ten championships for individuals, most of the time those <laughs> those rankings of how they place in the Big Ten championships is roughly how the national t- championship is going to go. Uh, it's just, it's really tough to win in the big 10 and this shouldn't really surprise that Rutgers loses these matches, but in a year where, you know, you've, you've got this kind of dual lineup that should be better than it is. Um, you just, you really hope to, to get one of these big wins and kind of have a program defining moment, but they have a couple more opportunities. Uh, I don't think they're going to even come close to beating Penn state. Penn state's just a different level altogether, but to, you got you. You would hope that you can beat Ohio State or, or Minnesota with this lineup, and you know having both of them at home. But we'll see that's if it actually works yeah. out. Yeah, those uh should be near, if not sellouts. Yeah, which reminded me, uh, this has nothing to do with it, but they're winless against Michigan, and then uh, I just remembered that they were now they're zero eight against at the State Farm Center against uh, Illinois. Aren't they like zero eight or they're zero eight at the Breslin Center for basketball? 0-8 at the yep. Breslin Center against Michigan State, and they've never won at Ohio State. They're like also 0-7 or 0-8 there. Like, I don't know, just very very strange that throughout all these years they just can't get the one, that one one win. Yeah, it's tough. Once you once you break through, though, you, you see it, it could make a hell of a difference. But I think it's in people's heads, too, a yeah. little bit. Yeah. I also think you got to remember when Rutgers came into the Big Ten, they were being coached by Eddie Jordan, <laughs> who was – there was a list recently that came out. It was like the worst 25 hires of the last 25 years. And Eddie Jordan was top 10. And I agree <laughs> with that ranking. Um, the first two to three years of Peichel, you kind of got to write off because he was building something. So I think to judge Rutgers for not winning at, you know, X venue or Y venue, you really can only look at like the last four years as or four or five years to kind of like compare that. Um, can you argue? So yeah, you'd like to see some wins there, but it hasn't happened. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Does, can you Maybe. argue Peichel or Rutgers is on both lists if there's like a top 25 <laughs> in the past 25 <laughs> oh, years? Yeah. I think you could argue Absolutely. Peichel's on that and then Eddie Jordan's on another one. So I think it's it's, it's interesting how that works. Peichel, if, <clears throat> if he's not, you know, top 10, he should be on the, uh, that hypothetical list. Like, yeah. I was thinking nobody... they could be on the list for football and basketball between Eddie Jordan and Chris Ash. Oh, yes, 100%. Without a doubt. That man might be number one. <laughs> I am so anti him. I can't say it enough. Like, you see this play- the playoffs this week? You see that guy that scored a touchdown? Oh, that other guy that scored a touchdown that were on the same exact team? Yeah. Somehow got them to campus, mind you. How? I don't know. Yeah, somehow he had <clears throat> Gus Edwards, who leads the Ravens in rushing touchdowns. He had uh, Isaiah Pacheco, and he had Bo Melton at different points. And... uh we just 
didn't have any competent offense around him. Yeah, I mean, there was a there was a guy that, um, <clears throat> mind you, he just got injured, but they also had the starting guard for the Detroit, uh, Detroit Lions. Yep, Jonah Jackson. <clears throat> yep. Jonah Jackson. So, I mean, it's like, dude, what the fuck did you do? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that's why quarterback play is so important. We just haven't had that. And <clears throat> You mean Johnny Langan being a quarterback doesn't work? Yeah, apparently not. <laughs> um, I'm sorry to pick on him, but fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, Chris Ash. Uh, still blocked, Richie. Yeah, dude, are you kidding me? You think he's just going to randomly unblock me? I still talk shit <laughs> about him on Twitter. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, um, but speaking of football coaches, Richie, you got some a uh, little <clears throat> bit of a scoop on possibly something going on with Rutgers assistant coaches. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> actually, you know what? We, have, we haven't we have talked in a week, so we've, we've got a couple scoops. Uh, number one, they have started to interview uh, defensive line coach candidates. <clears throat> I expect that hire to be done uh, relatively soon. Um, I don't have any specific names. I do like Colin Farrell a lot. Colin Farrell? Colin Farrell. Not the actor. The actor. Not the actor. <laughs> the guy who played the um, penguin? <clears throat> no, not, not him. Uh, Mike said. Mike said the same thing to me when I texted him about it. Um, <laughs> I kind of hate you guys for both that. But uh, he's the assistant head coach slash D-line coach at Kent State, New Jersey native, very good recruiter, considered a top five recruiter in the MAC. Um, <clears throat> has survived at Kent State since 2016, survived two coaching staffs um, because Sean Lewis ended up leaving. They had a new, totally new guy. Um, <clears throat> can't go my throat. I'm dying right now. Um but yeah, no, he's he's one to keep a close eye on. And then I was also told recently a Power Five school is trying to poach Mark Orfe, Orfe, not Orfe. Um, we'll see what happens with that. I don't really think he's going to leave. I think um, Rutgers proved last time that they're willing to up him because Ole Miss reached out last year. Um, There's some talk about Mississippi State early on in the off season, but they filled their role with someone else. So I, I think Rutgers might just end up re-upping him, which wouldn't shock me. But. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely interesting. I mean, it's it's a good sign when other teams are trying to poach your coaches. Put it like that. Yeah, it's uh, not a bad sign <laughs> at all. Uh, something you want, honestly, because that's going to help you attract coaching candidates in the future. Um, as much as it sucked to lose Heatherman, at least he's going to a DC job at the Power Five. Um, yeah. Have you have you heard anything regarding the linebacking coaching uh, role? No, there's there's some talk that they might just end up going internal with that. I don't know if that's a fact or not. Um, I haven't been able to confirm that one yet. Uh, but, I mean, if they do go internal, it's either Jarrett uh, Kite, out of, who was the interim D-line coach and has linebackers experience, or uh, it'd be Charlie Noonan, who's already on the road recruiting, works with the linebackers at QC since 2020, uh, developed – uh, was at Lehigh the year before he came to Rutgers. He developed a second-team All-American at Lehigh. Uh, I think they're FCS or something like that. Uh, what it's, I mean, it's still impressive nonetheless. Um, so I, I think, if anything, I'd probably lean more towards Noonan being the favorite there. But there is a lot of interest in both jobs. So now they're kind of just seeing what uh, what who's going to show interest and kind of go from there, do some interviews, all that good stuff. Interesting. All right. So stay tuned to the boards and uh, your podcast feed because we will have something as soon as that news breaks uh, to fill you in on all the details. It's kind of all I got for today, guys. Do you have anything else you wanted to, to hit on before we head out? 
Craig, you can go first uh, if you want. Football games, I say, were pretty good. I mean, the Bills, I mean, they, they lost. So I kind of feel bad a little bit because I know I'm a Jeff fan, but I did feel bad a little bit. But at the same time, I mean, now the narrative has – I mean, well, all we heard yesterday was the narrative about <laughs> Lamar Jackson can never win in the playoffs. But Josh Allen, mm-hmm. same deal. I mean, where where's that where's that narrative? The, every time he goes up against Mahomes, he loses. It's tough. Mahomes is like an all-time quarterback. Like, I get it, but – you know, since, like, I, think- I don't know how long it's been now, but, like, the last six years has been just Mahomes has at least made the AFC title game. Before that, Brady made it, like, I don't know how many consecutive years. So, basically, the AFC title game for, like, the last decade plus has basically just been either Mahomes or Brady. It's crazy. Yeah, do you know um, all the players he's lost to in the playoffs? Or oh. all the quarterbacks he's lost to in the playoffs? Mahomes? Mahomes? Yeah. Uh, off the top of my head, I can't really think of it. So he's lost to Brady twice, once in the AFC Championship game, once in the Super Bowl, and he's lost to Joe Burrow. That's it. Those are his only losses in the playoffs. <laughs> so losing to, to Mahomes isn't an indictment, in my opinion. It's just <laughs> kind of like an inevitability for most guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, Josh Josh Allen, uh, everything was set up for them to win that game. They finally got yeah. the home playoff game. That was Mahomes, believe it or not, his first playoff game that wasn't either in the Super Bowl or at Arrowhead Stadium. Crazy. Wild, but yeah. um, so <laughs> Josh Allen, uh, you know, they got the lucky bounce on that fumble out of the end zone. That they got crazy. the lucky bounce with the 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 fumble that should have been. They somehow recovered that. Um, they just it just seems like they're a team that's cursed. Like they're not going to find a way to beat Mahomes. Um, things aren't going to get any easier now because Josh Allen's you know cap number starts to really drastically increase next year. So. The Bills, man, uh, I do feel for him as well. But going against Mahomes, you know, he's the best player in football for a reason. The guy just knows how to find a way to win. Yeah. Goes to show you how much a quarterback can change a team. Yeah. As long as you have the best quarterback in the league, he can drag you to the, yeah, to the AFC, to at least the champ, the conference championship. Yeah. Um, last thing I got is uh, recruiting news. Junior day uh, will be this weekend. Uh, they hosted a couple kids last Wednesday, um, Charlandon Strange being the top target among that group. Uh, he did end up making a Syracuse visit. I do still expect him to go to Syracuse. Um, but Rutgers has a pretty good list growing for next Saturday. John Forster, uh, four-star Jersey running back. Jaden Savory coming from Michigan, who is a basketball teammate of Trey McKinney, uh, who is top Rutgers basketball target. Um, the two have actually talked about Rutgers. It's in one of our war room article. I forget which one it is. Um, Andrew Olish, a Pennsylvania tight end, uh, Michael Troutman coming down from DePaul Catholic. I believe his teammate Desi Jones is also coming down. Uh, another top 10 Jersey kid. It's going to be uh, a lot of localish kids for the most part for this one, but, uh, they're also sneaking in some, <clears throat> some visitors during the week as well. Um, January 30th, Rowan Byrne, who's arguably the top offensive line target in 2025 from Iona Prep, will be on campus. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. It's relatively quiet right now. Um, but th- these are usually the times where we might sneak a commitment or two. So I definitely keep an eye out. I don't think anyone on that list currently is ready to commit yet. But uh, they're doing really well with John Forrester, who's like a top 250 Top 150, number 134 overall in the country, running back. Kind of an all-purpose guy, almost like a slot back that could could, could literally go play the slot or could play running back at the next level. So uh, definitely keep a close eye on him. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. 
All right, guys. Well, thanks once again for listening. Uh, thanks to everyone who's liked, subscribed, all that jazz over the past. We really appreciate each and every one of you. But for me and the guys, it's been another edition of the podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.